Hello and welcome to episode two of Chin Chats, a show where I talk to people that interest me about the stuff that interests them and hopefully that interests you. I am so excited about today's guest, um, a gentleman uh, who is just amazing at pretty much everything he does. He's like the Midas of musicians. Uh, he's a gentleman I met in Los Angeles while we were studying at the University of Southern California. Uh, little did I know I was in the presence of greatness at first, um, and now I, I cherish the moments that I got to spend with him. Uh, Troy, welcome to the program, everybody. Troy Quinn. Davey, thank you, you so Troy? much. I'm doing great. You should be my press agent. What an introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very humbled. Oh. Happy to be here, too. Oh, so glad you are here. So, Troy, um, for all my listeners, tell us, what do you consider your day job? What is it that you do? Uh, that's a very good question. Sometimes I'm not sure what I do. I guess by day <laughs> I am a professional musician and conductor. Uh, I would describe myself as uh, that first and then a studio musician second. That's awesome. That's awesome. And you've done some pretty um, impressive studio stuff. What are some of your studio highlights? I've, I've been fortunate uh, in my young career to do some, some very fun things uh, and outside the box. Uh, I think probably performing with the Rolling Stones in front of 40,000 people in the Staples Center is, is up at the top of my list. Uh, but also for me personally, uh, I got to meet Richard Carpenter doing a uh, gig for him, and that was just a highlight because I'm a huge mm. Carpenters fan. Yeah. Uh, grew up listening to their music, so um, uh, and I just recently did a film, Storks, an animated film, which was fun. It was actually my first film uh, recording awesome. vocals, background vocals on. So um, uh, it just a uh, just been very very diverse sampling of stuff I've been lucky to do. Right, that's that's amazing. So you record with the Rolling Stones, or you you perform with the Rolling Stones, and then perform on a on a movie, and then you go up to Alaska to conduct a symphony orchestra. So you're kind of the all around musician, aren't you? I'm, uh, as they say, Davy, jack of all trades, master of none. I I do a lot of different things, but um, it keeps me busy. Yeah. No doubt. I, w I would amend that and say jack of all trades and master of all of them. Well, but. you're very kind. It's just, uh, it's sort of, I look at it as trying to do as many things as possible to just diversify your portfolio. And I have very diverse musical interests, so it fulfills all those needs for me. Yeah, so that's that's actually one of the questions I wanted to ask you. Uh, what is it that you listen to on, you know, an average day? What kind of music are you drawn to in, in your car or on your iPad? Well, I already gave a little bit away. I'm a, a, a sucker for a lot of the choral, older uh, melodies that the Carpenters have. But honestly, I'm drawn a lot to film music and soundtracks. Most, most everything on my iPod is that, and, and classical. You know, I'm always mm. listening to symphonic music. Um, but for enjoyment, I, I love listening to John Williams' film scores, mm. Henry Mancini, uh, Hans Zimmer, all of that. I, I, that's how I really became interested too in classical music. I grew up listening to film scores, and then that opens a gateway to Beethoven and Mozart, and I got hooked, hooked that way. But um, and I do like popular music as well. Um, you know, I think John Legend's fantastic. I'm a big fan of vocalists, mm -hmm. so uh, the great vocalists of the day, and also uh, a lot of the jazz standards. Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, Sarah Vaughan. Um, that's, that's, I'm an old school guy. <laughs> I was born in the wrong era, as I always say. <laughs> 
Oh, that's amazing. No, one one thing you alluded to was John Williams, which just reminded me of a, a quick story. Uh, we had the the distinct pleasure of taking a, a film music class at USC. Right. Uh, and I, I will never forget the day, the very first day of class, we sat next to each other and we're looking over the syllabus at all of the composers and all of the films and all of the topics we would be studying. And you just had this kind of perplexed look on your face and you just leaned over to me and whispered and you said, I don't see John Williams on here. And you <laughs> right. were so confused. And and it wasn't that you were wrong. There was there was not going to be any mention of John Williams in a film scoring class taught and in the heart of Los Angeles, which just seemed uh ironic, ironic and wrong yes. in, in every way. Indeed. And then indeed. we ended we ended the the class uh, at the end of the semester with um with presentations that we all gave and you got up and gave a presentation on John Williams and uh, I just remember you were a little bit kind of peeved. You were like, why am I the one having to present on the greatest film composer of all time? <laughs> it was uh, an was... honor for me because I love uh, his music and, of course, I'm a big fan of his. But, uh, yeah, it, certainly you remembered that. I, 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 <laughs> uh, that. I was looking forward to that class so much because of that, but we snuck it in there anyway, Davey. So. We did. We did. And we all learned something anyway. So. Right, right. Uh, that's great. So you alluded to um, kind of your upbringing and kind of uh, a little bit of your exposure to some of the symphonic literature being through film scores. But other than that, how did you how did you become a musician? What is your background story? Where where did you come from and, and why did music hook you the way it did? Well, it's sort of unique for me. And I think I'm in the minority of folks that didn't come to it from studying since I was five, having a piano background. I, w I started off as a singer and a boy soprano um, in school, in grade school, and I didn't even know a musician was a viable profession. I didn't even know you could be a professional musician, let alone a conductor or do studio work. I had no idea about that. I wanted to go into communications in college and study meteorology, which I always say is ironic because I, I am in the business of communication as a conductor and music director. Mm. Uh, but I, I had just been a sort of a naive singer uh, my early childhood, and I never took piano lessons, never studied music formally. Came to it very late. I just you know, sang in the choir by ear, and it's a pretty well-kept secret. I didn't even read music until I went to college. I mean, I had no clue about any of it, uh, except that I loved it. You know, from the time I was two years old, my parents would be playing all, all the great music, you know, and all the great vocalists. I mean, I grew up in a house from Whitney Houston to Barbara Streisand to Ennio Morricone to Astrid and Gilberto and Brazilian jazz music. So, you know, my parents were very influential in just uh, exposing me to a lot of different things. And then when I got to college, uh, my con my choral conductor asked me to get up and conduct a piece, Prayer of the Children. You'll remember that one, mm -hmm. Davey. And uh, I had no clue what I was doing in terms of time signature. I remember now looking back and I think I was conducting in double time, <laughs> actually. But she just recognized, she said, Troy, come up here and conduct this. I think she recognized some innate musicality in me. And it was totally raw, pure, raw, humble talent. That's all it mm -hmm. was. And then I got the training, and then I thought, wow, I got, you know, this is the best thing ever. It's like the air I breathe, and I can do this. And then I got the training and took to it naturally. So I had a lot of, uh, a lot of work to make up, so to speak. 
But that's, I think, what kept me grounded and 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 driving to to my goals and and, and hard working because I always felt I was behind. I had to uh, I had to learn more. I had to learn, uh, you know, as much as the great musicians that I looked up to. So it kept me um, it kept me energized and um, well invigorated that I would actually be able to do this as a living. So that's awesome. And you know, there's something great about, about coming to music late in life. Um, that gives you that drive. You know, my, my boss and mentor is one of the great, greatest musicians I've ever known. And, um, he came to college and, and he couldn't read bass clef, you know? Um, right. So he, sounds familiar. <laughs> you know, it, so he, kind of a similar thing or one of the greatest bands of all time, the Bee Gees, not a single one of them could read music. Um, right. You know, well, I mean, to this day, none of them, none of them can. So true. Uh, true. It, it, it just shows that musicality can be, like you said, innate and, and can really, um, can be born late in life and still uh, be part of greatness um, as you are you are starting to prove in your your young career as you call it but a, an impressive one so far I'll settle for averageness <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think it also like you said Davey it also it, you want to get the training and be able to be proficient in those things and mm-hmm. so that's sort of what I I try to do. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I know one of the things you're passionate about is music education. So even though even though you came to it late in life, you're you're eager to to help young people to recognize their potential and and be able to get in at a ground level, which I think is awesome. Very true. I had great mentors, you know, my entire schooling career, uh, even when I wasn't formally in music. And I believe, you know, very strongly that that is a, a major component that we need to uh, nurture in our society. And, you know, my work with Juno Symphony and with other symphonies, we have our youth orchestra I oversee, our student symphony. There's a jam program up there, an El Sistema type program run by Lori Hagee, a wonderful um, Abreu fellow at NEC, and she's done a great job of, of of starting these sorts of music education components very, very young, where people are playing on paper violins. And so I am I go into the schools all the time and talk to young people about the importance of, of music, and it's very near and dear to my heart because that's sort of how I got into it, by having mentors just recognize that and exposing, you know, this wonderful, I don't want to say uh, field because it's really a way of life, uh, for me, yeah. uh, to, to young people. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, so you, you, you segued perfectly for me. So you're, you're, you conduct the Juno symphony, um, in Alaska, but you don't live in Alaska. <laughs> I don't. Nope. I don't. A little too cold for me. Beautiful place, but I, I'm based in Los Angeles. That's, that's fantastic. So how did you find out about the Juno symphony job? Um, you've been there, you just finished your second season. Is that right? Correct. Yes. So how did you find out about that job? What was the audition and interview process like, and, and how are you enjoying that experience? Well, uh, I, I love it, Davey. It's really sort of a random story. I had no connection there, knew nobody there. Uh, like everybody else, intrigued by Juneau and Alaska and the geography and the beautiful locale of that place. And I just applied out of the blue. And like any other audition um, some of your listeners may not know, uh, conducting auditions probably are the longest time period of any interview on the planet. I mean, it <laughs> takes about 
a minimum one to two years from the time you actually interview until the time you may get the job. And I've been through a number of these now. And so typically there's anywhere from 100 to 250 candidates that they get and have to whittle that down to three or four or five finalists. I was lucky to be one of three finalists. And uh, then there's a uh, audition process. So the interview process happens before you even get to know that you're a finalist. Uh, and then you go audition. Uh, you do a concert cycle. If they have three or four concerts, everybody does one. All of the finalists do one concert. And then at the end of the season, that could be a one and a half to two years later, they announce the winner. And I was lucky enough to, uh, I think, have a great rapport with the orchestra and be the right fit, you know, for for the needs of the organization. And I've really enjoyed it. This is, like you said, my end of my second season. We just had a great triumph for the John. We did an all John Williams concert. Shocking that I would do an all John Williams concert. <laughs> it was our pops program in June, and we uh, had the biggest selling audience we've ever had in the history, the 55 year history of the organization. We sold 1,400 wow. tickets, so it was wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you. That's amazing. So, it really starts with programming, you know, Davey. So it, I can't take the credit. It's John Williams and his great mastery mm-hmm. of, of music. Right. Well, you should take a little bit of credit because you, you, are, you are instrumental, no pun intended, in, in all of that. <laughs> <laughs> I pull uh, it together, yeah. <laughs> so what are, your, what are your plans for the next season? What are, your, what are your hopes? What are your dreams? We have a great season coming up um, and some unique... Uh, programming too. I'm big into these sorts of hybrid concerts now where we do classical works, film works, pop works on the same program. So there will be a staple. Our opening season concert will be Brahms 3 we're doing Mm. and uh, The Lark Ascending by Von Williams with the beautiful violin solo and Sibelius Finlandia. After that we've got this program I'm excited about called Shakespeare in Love and we're doing Tchaikovsky's Romeo and Juliet Overture. But we're also doing Nino Rota's uh, A Time for Us, the love theme from his Zeffirelli film, I should say, uh, Romeo and Juliet. So again, film music juxtaposed with classical music, and we're also doing Mendelssohn's Wedding March on there from A Midsummer Night's Dream. All pieces that were inspired by uh, Shakespeare, uh, particularly his writings, and 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 that also... Um, also bleeds into the film world and uh, more popular music. So we're doing that, uh, which I'm very, very excited about. Um, And then in June, we are doing a James Bond tribute concert. So the music of James Bond, Shaken Not Stirred. And I did come up with that title. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. And there's a lot of great music by composers who have written for the Bond films, not just Monty Norman and John Barry, but... Every even Bill Conti wrote a tune for Your Eyes Only for the James Bond, Marvin Hamlish, and now of course Adele with Skyfall. So it'll be a a great range of music. Wow. So Alaska is uh, a little bit far away from Los Angeles where you're based, but that apparently didn't seem to be enough. You needed you needed some more travel in your life. Um, so you were recently it was recently announced that you were appointed to the Owensboro Symphony in Kentucky. Is that right? That's right. Yes, I was named music director there this past month, and I'm very excited about that. I'm getting my southern roots. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, you're just you're gonna spread out eventually. One of these days, you're gonna be in India and South Africa, and you won't be able to, <laughs> right. you the Fiji Philharmonic. Yes. <laughs> yes, where in the world is Troy Quinn? Take it, step aside, Carmen San Diego. <laughs> so, what are you most excited about uh, going into an, a new symphony for you? What um, what are your what are your plans? What are your dreams? Um, why are you excited about this this second uh, orchestra of yours? Well, again, I, I was very impressed when I went down for the conducting audition uh, with the quality of musicians, the hall, the budget there of the organization. Uh, I didn't. I know. I knew nothing about Owensboro before I applied, um, and you know, quite fortuitously, it's near uh, the Jacobs School of Music, Indiana University in Bloomington, and so they draw a lot of wonderful musicians from there and from the Nashville area. It's a, a very culturally diverse area um, that's sort of in the middle of, of the breadbasket area of America, and uh, so I was impressed with the level of players, and, and again, the rapport we had. I did an All-American concert there for our uh, my... Um, audition concert, an American Roots concert, and we did Copeland and um, Barber and Cowell and some other things, not just more popular works, uh, a lot of classical stuff on that concert too. And uh, it seemed to be the right fit for that orchestra and for that part of America. Um, and again, they're a wonderful orchestra. They play all the greats from Mahler, Shostakovich, and I was excited about the programming opportunities. You know, they've worked with some great names, too, in the popular realm, which is great for me. Uh, Dion Warwick, some legends like that. Um, Amy Grant has come there and performed with them. So the possibility to work uh, different, different genres as well with the orchestra. And they have a six-season subscription concert. So uh, it's, it's not divided particularly into pops or classical which is aligns with my philosophy too, Dave. You know, music is either good or bad. That's all mm -hmm. it is. Uh, and so, you know, I think all, all orchestras now across the country are dealing with how to bring in new audience members, younger audience members, how do we still, uh, you know, appeal to our subscriber base. And so I don't know if I found the answer, but I think it's as much diversity as possible. And certainly we're not going to let go of all the classics. I mean... Everybody loves to do Brahms 3 we're doing actually in uh I'm doing no I'm doing Brahms 4 in Owensboro next year we're doing Brahms 3 in Juno uh, that there wind players string players audience members everybody loves that you know to that uh, repertoire it's like the meat and potatoes of the mm -hmm. symphonic world so that's never going to die out but uh I think most people are going to come to it like myself not necessarily um, into classical music per se, but may get there through another avenue, may hear, oh, okay, I want to hear this John Williams piece or this little, whatever it is, uh, popular work that the symphony is doing or even a little chamber music. And then they go here and the concert and here we're doing Brahms 4 or Beethoven uh, 5 and they fall in love with it. That's the hope. So I think it's important to sort of uh, mix the balance on programming and have a good mix, I should say, while, uh, you know, while it's all good music, nothing's inherently, I think, lesser or, um, or of lesser importance. It's, it's, and that's what really appealed to Owensboro. They're very open to that. 
And most major orchestras are doing that now. You know, San Francisco's having a film night where it's just a film series, you know. And of course, they're not getting rid of Mahler and Berlioz and all the other symphonic works, but they're adding to the repertoire, and that's what we have to do if we're going to be leading regional orchestras in the 21st century, you know. Tastes have changed. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's really key. Um, you know, the town that I'm from, we have a, we have a small orchestra and, um, this, this coming season, we're actually, um, uh, beginning our, um, auditions for our new artistic directors. Oh, right. Um, and that's one of the things that I'm really excited to see is if they program, um, if they program eclectic and diverse programs, because the town that I live in is not full of humongously, um, eager classical musicians you know, it's a lot of mid-America folk that really want to um, hear James Bond-type music. Um, so I, I think that your your philosophy and your ideas are are just perfect for, like like you said, the 21st century orchestra. And I think that um, I hope that we continue to see your kind of uh, leadership in these orchestras um, across across our country um, and across the globe, because I think that's going to keep keep music um live music live symphonic music alive um i really i really think that's that's very true i agree i couldn't agree more so you're going to a new job um and and you're a performer uh do you still get nervous that's a great question you know i i have to say i do not get nervous davy and that's sort of been now everybody will everybody i'm sure has a bit of butterflies or a bit of energy that they sort of uh, translate into whatever it is, uh, excitement or nerves. My energy doesn't go to the nerves area, which I'm very fortunate for. Um, and particularly if I'm well prepared, there's no real, real reason to be nervous. I get excited to perform, you know, and then that's what I believe I was born to do and, 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 and be there on the podium and uh, and create and collaborate. You know that's my excitement. If I can just make it all about the music, then and be prepared. There's no real n reason to get nervous. Now that being said, I'm sure if John Williams came to my next concert, I, I would have a few butterflies <laughs> uh, in front of him. The, that that would be totally reasonable, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember, you know, when, when we were at USC, that was something that I remember distinctly about when, when you led during your recital um, and, and when, you, when you helped uh, the chamber singers as we um, prepared uh, the Stravinsky. Um, right. I'll never, for, I'll never forget how, how calm, cool, and collected you were in a position that I know a lot of our colleagues would have had a lot less collectedness. Um, I'm, I'm speaking of myself mostly. That's the colleague I'm speaking of. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I just remember, I remember your, your steadfastness, you know, that first symphony of Psalms rehearsal and, you know, we're in a room full of these just brilliant minds and these talented people right. and you get up on the podium as a classmate and you lead like the boss with just no, no problems. And it was quite impressive. Well, I had, you know, like yourself, Davey, I had great colleagues and wonderful musical minds, and it made it easy, and it made my job easy to do, and that's really the truth of it. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's much easier 
to conduct an ensemble, lead an ensemble like that, than it is a community group. You know, mm -hmm. I always say, uh, you know, to really hone your skills, get in front of amateur musicians and people that love to do it for fun, because they still, for the most part, uh, have the the joy in it that sometimes professional musicians can can be hardened by over the years, and that's what I try to keep uh, in my own. Uh, working ability with orchestras and choirs and and even in my own performance world that how lucky we are to do this and to work with people that are like-minded and want to create beautiful music there's no better job in the world so for me it puts me at ease and I'm just there to create great music with with my colleagues and friends I mean it's 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 a dream <laughs> and yeah it is. It is. It's a dream for many, um, and I'm I'm so excited for you that you're you're living that dream. Um, but do you have other dreams? Is there an orchestra that you would just absolutely love to conduct, or is there another place that you'd like to go um, outside of Kentucky and Alaska? Good question, Davey. And my my answer has always remained the same from even when I was a young person in college, thinking, "Oh, I could do this, and this would be great." I mean, I think Keith Lockhart's a little is a little young still, but the Boston Pops or the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra would be sort of the pinnacle ideal for me, just to conduct there, not necessarily even be the the music director, but to work with an ensemble like that um, in L.A. or in Boston where, you know, my roots are back east and now my roots are here in Los Angeles. For me, it's also the culmination of my own musical interest. You know, those are orchestras that play everything I love to do. Um, and so that would be, that would be the dream. You know, I, when I was 10 years old, unbeknownst to me, my parents took me to the Hollywood Bowl and I had come to Los Angeles, uh, every year to visit my cousins and my uncle who lived here. So I had family here. We came on vacations every year for probably five, six or seven years as a kid. And I was 10 years old. My parents took me to the Hollywood Bowl dress rehearsal and who's conducting but none other than John Williams. And he's conducting Indiana Jones. And at the time, I had no idea who he even was or what this was about. But I remember being taken, taken aback by that and saying, oh, that would be awesome to do that one day. So that, that still remains my dream. <laughs> that's, and that's I, I had dream. the opportunity to sing there a couple of years ago for the DreamWorks anniversary concert, which was basically a dream coming true. We did all the music from uh, Shrek and Ratatouille. And, uh, it was just all the DreamWorks Pixar films. It was wonderful. So it really was full circle for me in a way. Wow. That's just so, you just are living just my dreams. <laughs> well, so if you anybody know, ever wants to know what my dreams are, just ask Troy what he's currently doing and then you know what my dreams are. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just trying to make a career as a musician. That's what I've said all my life, Davey. If you're lucky to make a career, a living career as a musician, you're doing great. You're doing mm -hmm. fantastic. You know, it doesn't matter the level or the prestige, you know, it's, it's about creating music and, if you're able to live on that and and do what you love for a living, that is the luckiest thing in the world. Probably 95% of the population can't say they do what they love for a living. So, hmm. Yeah. Something you uh, alluded to a little bit was that a lot of professional musicians, um, they might uh, become slightly hardened um, to the fact that they are 
professional musicians, um, you know, doing something that is just absolutely incredible, uh, making music uh, for a living. Um, and I know that that happens to a lot of people in a lot of professions, not just music. Um, and something that really helps a lot of people stay focused and enjoy um, their their job or their dream job is having some kind of hobby or interest outside of their quote unquote day job. Uh, so do you have interests outside of music or do you have hobbies or things that you like to occupy your, I'm sure you don't have free time, but we'll call it that. Uh, are, are there anything like that in your life? I have very little free time, but there is, you know, for a time I was very interested in fencing, if you can believe it. Huh. Uh, I And I did some amateur foil fencing back east in Rhode Island when I was in school. And I really got into these sorts of renaissance arts things. Um, but I, I'm a big cyclist, I, and I, I, I sold my bike now because Los Angeles isn't the greatest biking town unless you go mm-hmm. to the beach. But I was a big cyclist for many years. Um, and mostly I, I love to travel, uh, and music takes me a lot of places that I wouldn't ordinarily go to. Um, but my idea of free time, honestly, is going down to Santa Monica Beach, taking a score with me, and just relaxing there. Um, there's so much to do in Los Angeles and there's so much stimulation, so many things. I like to sort of just get away and, uh, take in, take in the beautiful nature and atmosphere, which is why I love Juneau, Alaska. It's such a break from the hubbub of Los Angeles and it's really invigorating and sorts of rejuvenates you, uh, particularly when, you know, like you know, Davey, being college professor the symphony season is like a school year so by the time may rolls around you're ready for uh, a break and for rejuvenation and so that's where i go to get away from things and um, enjoy my little free time that's awesome that's awesome um so something way out of left field this is this is always the point that i don't have a good segue for this one but (laughs) um one of one of one of my hobbies and interests um that any of my listeners or any of my friends um which by the way those are the same groups of people and it's mostly my mother so hi mom hi mom Um, (laughs) but uh it's it's pens and stationery and pencils right have do you have any particular pencils that you use to score study or do you have any pens or stationary goods that you you like or use on a daily basis this is going to sound odd but i like taking pens and stationary from the hotels i'm at <laughs> that's not odd at all that's how i got into pens so is that and i remember now that you're saying it davy when we were in school at usc i remember you always had pens in your pocket in your shirt pocket uh that was a a that you knew it was everything was right in the world if you had that so <laughs> I, I i i haven't taken up that hobby to the level you have but i would say i started off using cross pens if you remember that brand name yeah, yeah. i got them as a gift i think for uh college graduation but now i've moved to uh the hotel pens and paper and I'm still an old school guy, actually. You know, I'll use colored pencils for my scores and and that sort of thing. But I'm I'm a big proponent of memorization. So as l- I write down very few things. Luckily, I have a very good memory. And while I'm young and it still serves me, uh, I actually try not to write down anything. And 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 that even goes for notes and scores and stuff. Obviously, there are things I have to put in there, but minimal writing so that it actually exercises my memory that that's one thing i've been uh sort of uh fortunate with my career to 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 have that 
talent. Yeah. And I'm uh, one of the the articles that I was reading, one of the many, many articles about you that I was reading uh, from from your audition in Juno was um, one of the members of the board, I believe, commented on the fact that 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 concert that you did for your audition, you did completely from memory um, and that that resonated with with her and with the audience. Um, so that's a that's a pretty impressive, impressive feat and, and props to you for that. Well, it's less about impressiveness, I'll tell you the secret, really, to that. And I do most things memorized. I mean, if I'm doing Rite of Spring, I'm probably going to need that score. But it's not unusual. Dunamel and Kurt, Kurt Mazur and um, all of these folks, you know, great conductors, do many of the symphonic stuff memorized. Um, uh, but I, I do it particularly for the music making that it creates Davy and even you know with orchestras I find that we're, there's no barrier between myself and the musicians when the score is not there and people are more alert we it's more of a chamber music sort of situation where we if you know the music innately and you can feel it uh, that's really the only way to know the music I think innately and you know um Again, if you go to measure 35, and I can tell you it's a C major chord, and here are the notes, there's very few people on the planet that can do that. There are some with that photographic memory. Um, but I think it's more, again, about knowing uh, knowing the music that well that you don't need the crutch of the score, and that it creates better music making. All the concerts I've done, particularly all of the concerts for uh, auditions, you know, I've done Memorize because... It's greater ensemble, and it's the musicians trust me if they do, and they decide that very quickly. Um, it's more about the collaboration it creates, and that there is no barrier. And I find that the music making and the performances are a much better quality than if I'm buried in the score. Mm. Absolutely, and cle- clearly they recognize that in Juno and in Owensboro. Um, so that's that's <coughs> that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think they do. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what's next for Troy Quinn? I mean, I know you're stepping into this new job in Owensboro, and um, and you're going into your third season in Juno. But what's what's on the horizon for you? Well, next I'm taking off a couple of weeks, and I'm going to Palm Springs, which is actually my favorite thing to do. I am a huge uh, sun worshiper, if you will, and I love the heat. So, you know, 120 to me sounds wonderful. I'm I'm sort of a, a weird case, but I love that. So um, I'll be doing that. And then I'm doing something totally random before I have my first concert in Kentucky on August 5th. Uh, we have the Pops concert. Um, but I'm doing a, a keeping my vocal chops going, and I'm doing a tour in Niagara Falls with the Spirit of the Dance, uh, a three Irish tenor show, tribute show, at, uh, at the casino there. So uh, I like to keep my vocal chops and my parallel vocal career going as well so something totally different something fun we'll be singing you know Nessun Dorma and Danny Boy and all of that stuff so um it's that's fun for me that's awesome that's awesome um is there anything that you want to tell the world is there anything you want to tell the and by the world i mean the 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 audience of this podcast the world of (laughs) listeners that you have the legion of fans that you're going have going to have davy (laughs) well i'm just happy they're listening really i I, i'm happy that if one person's finding anything interesting that we're talking about it it certainly is to us and um 
and I think, you know, if people are interested in upcoming concerts, I always get that a lot too because I'm based in Los Angeles, but I don't have an orchestra in Los Angeles per se. I do a lot of concerts uh, singing or, or recording, but that's not open to the public. So, um, you know, go to TroyQuinn.com and you can find anything that interests you or where I am if you're trying to follow me, like Carmen San Diego. Uh, my website has all of that information and you can connect to Twitter and Facebook on there as well and keep up to date with my travels. And if anything interests you, you know, I mean, the greatest thing for me is doing live performances, Davey. I love doing the studio work and and television and film, but uh, live concert performances, anything could happen. It's like my drug. So, um, uh, you know, I always encourage people to come out, and if they're in an area where I'm performing, it's great to have support live audience, uh, live music rather, with, with live audiences and support the arts now more important than ever. Hmm. What a, what a perfect, perfect ending statement, support the arts. Um, that's fantastic. There will be a link in the show notes to your website. Um, and if anybody wants to find any information about me, uh, you can head over to chinthings.com. That's C-H-I-N-N things.com or on any social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at Davey Chin. Um, and you can find the show notes for this show at chinthings.com slash chats slash two. That's the digit two. Um, there will be all of the links for a bunch of stuff that we talked about. And I'm going to put together a playlist of um, a bunch of the music and a bunch of the composers that were mentioned on this show. Um, Troy, thanks again for joining me. I really greatly appreciate it. Davey, a true pleasure, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and for now, everybody, have a great day.